It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. So I'm so excited that today I'm doing a special conversation with two beautiful, innovative, powerful women who I had the privilege of co-starring with in a wrinkle in time, Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. Hi, Oprah. Thank you for having us. Can you believe it? We get to sit and talk? No, it's so exciting. It's our favorite thing to do. It's our favorite thing to do. Not in harnesses and wigs. (laughs) Not in harnesses and wigs. This is going to be fun because I wish we had been recording. Can you imagine if we were recording a podcast in our trailer (laughs) all of those mornings? That would be very bad for all of us. During the many hours we spent (laughs) in the makeup trailer. Particularly for me. No, no, no. A lot of wisdom in that trailer. I think so, too. Why do you think, though, that the spirit an energy of what's now coming to the big screen in A Wrinkle in Time, the essence of that book. Why do you think that has captured imaginations of children and now adults for decades? Why? It's absolutely, well, I mean, it's such a, a book about what is possible and hope and positivity and about good versus evil. And I think they're have been many moments in time that it would be completely appropriate, but it seems so apropos right now to be talking about what do we cultivate in each other and what, how do we, how do we find our best selves and yeah. become warriors for the good in the world? Yeah. I think the fact that the lead isn't very unconventional yeah. lead, a fatherless girl who's on search for her father. I think at the time the book came out, that was a very unusual choice for a lead of a children's book or a book for young adults. Yes. And I think you can see yourself in that character. It's nice. What did it mean to you all to be a part of this? Didn't, did it not feel, well, I will tell you, did it, for me it felt sort of like we were part of a trailblazing, pioneering kind of adventure. Mm-hmm. The fact that Ava was at the center of directing um, the first $100 billion film by an African-American woman. Did we not feel Amazing. like we're trailblazers? For sure. For sure. And having Storm Reid be this little girl in the middle of a big Disney movie. This bit, I'd never, I mean, I've been in movies for a long time and I've never seen a little girl of color be in the center of a giant, giant movie. And I think about all the little girls out there yeah. going, oh, 
I can be in my own fantastic adventure? Yeah. I mean, I think about how her life is go about oh. to change. And she's so deserving of it. She's such a sweet so soul. So kind. And mm -hmm. smart. And grounded, and yeah. Grounded and hardworking and... But you think I got I got emotional every time I thought about the little girls who don't see themselves. Just to your point, too, yes. you know, and just the way that you know, to Ava to look at the things she had done before that, Thirteenth mm -hmm. Selma, her her other movies before that. But to think that she took on the science fiction, the science fiction book that was incredibly popular, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and had maintained its popularity, but decided to take that and then cast it in a very unconventional way. And understood it and so understood much. It. We'd be like, where are we now? What planet are we on? And she's like, you're on Ixchel, you're in the, yeah, yeah. And, and even I look at the cast and, you know, it's with, with Chris and Gugu and everyone, and I had never seen a cast like that in a, in a movie, a science fiction movie in a Disney movie. And mm -hmm. I think that that was felt very special. And when everyone heard about the cast, they, I'm sure you heard this too. Everyone was so excited. Yeah. My character, Mrs. Wetz, is sort of an innocent. She's the newbie on the in the group. Very deferential to both of you, and she's kind of almost borderline antagonistic towards the children. Which is, I'm sort of the child she's of the children. She's a little annoyed by the children. I'm annoyed with the, the children. Yeah. Yes. And you are both wise, but not as um, mature. Mm. You have a. There's a there's a quality in your character. That what's what makes your character so funny. Yeah. I think. But Mindy definitely had the toughest role yeah. because when you're having to just recite speak, uh, in, speak in quotations. And, you know, some of the quotations because Ava did a pass on the script where she updated the quotations. They were more classically Western philosophers and she updated it so it was I was quoting Jay Z and Justin Bieber mm -hmm. and in addition to Rumi and so that was uh, that was made the character more fun. But it was it was, it was challenging. Well, I love being the wisest one. Yes. <laughs> one of the wisest women of the millennia. Yes, your voice changes when you're the wisest woman on yes, earth. Yes, it does. It becomes lower yes, and more gravitas. Whenever I'm saying it, it's just like in the old days when I was used to anchor the news. Yeah. Suddenly the red light would come on and I go into my anchor woman voice. <laughs> so whenever I see Mrs. Witch, oh, she must speak in lower tones. Because wise people never have to raise their voices. People, I think people are going to love it. I am hoping that people resonate with the message of light that it brings because mm -hmm. I think uh, the line where, where we're all standing in on our where we're all harnessed and she says the darkness is spreading so fast oh these my days. gosh yeah the it was only, powerful that only thing faster than light is darkness mm -hmm. I think we are actually in those times yeah. and I think it's so interesting that Madeline Lingle knew years ago that that was appropriate and that it also fits the age that we're living in now. Mm. But the message of the film is that every one of us has the power to be a carrier of the light. For sure. My friend was just saying as we were shooting pictures, wow, look at those, those are the new superheroes. Can you believe mm -hmm. it? No, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. And it takes Ava to make us be these supernatural warriors that I mean, the costumes are incredible, mm -hmm. the story, the messaging. Um, I think it's going to really surprise people. Well, in the book, as we know, and also in the film, uh, we get the message that complacency leads people to abandon their independent way of thinking. So I want to know, do you feel like our culture, there's a part of our culture that's complacent right now? 
I think our culture is more alive and vibrant than it's ever been. And I think we're waking, sleeping ideas that have been dormant for a long time. And it's terrifying and thrilling and exciting. But I think social media has opened up a conversation that was not possible even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this collective, I mean, just this is my perspective. I'm seeing women talking about things that they never spoke about. And they're feeling powerful because they're actually getting heard. I will say that complacency is one of the scariest words for me personally, because I've noticed in the, even the past year or so, even on social media, people who were not necessarily speaking their minds about certain things, feeling the urge they had to. And as people who all have social media accounts, you worry being complacent, I think, is the thing that history looks back on the worst. And when you think, you know, I'm an, I'm an actress, I'm a writer, I don't necessarily want to get involved mm -hmm. in politics every single day. And yet now I feel that uh, complacency is now, if you are uh, complacent, it's, it's one of the worst things you can say about a person. And that's very recent. I it's think. like sitting around, it's like doing nothing. Doing nothing. Yes. It's if, like... if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. That, that has been, for my entire adult life, I've heard that, but I think in the past, you know, two years or so, I felt like it's resonated and it's a lot. Yeah, so we're living in an era where you believe complacency is dying and that people are actually called to and feel the need to speak up. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting because in O Magazine every month this year, we're asking the big questions. And uh, in particular this month, in honor of Wrinkle in Time, we're asking the question, what would you be a warrior for? What is the thing you're most willing to stand for? Well, for me, it's women's stories and trying to create opportunities for women to tell their stories because I think um, we cannot expect change in our society and culture if this, we hear the same, we see the same movies by the same 20 directors over and over and over again. And for me, it's been a, a mission for the past five years to create better parts for women, but also mm -hmm. opportunities for women of color, women of different generations to tell their stories in any capacity whether they're taking photographs or they're doing um, podcasts, mm -hmm. things like that. Just shine a light on those people. Yeah, what is the thing you're most willing to stand for? I think the plight of refugees now, in particular, like mm -hmm. the Rohingya people who have largely, for the past five years, have been right on the edge of genocide, but now people are beginning to notice when hundreds and thousands of people are pushed out of their homeland and, again, on the brink of genocide. Uh, you know, it just feels like every different part of our worlds, there's not a section of it where there is not some kind of active genocide happening. And right now it's the, with the Rohingya people. Um, so the refugee crisis is, is... It's the worst refugee crisis since World War II, ever, isn't it? Ever. ever. And the, the fact that um, I felt that refugee used to not have the connotations five years ago of they are now considered, um, I believe, refugees. That term is used as uh, untrustworthy, mm, derogatory. Uh, derogatory, and that never used to be the case, and mm -hmm. that's disturbing to me. Yeah. You know, if you call someone a, a refugee now, it, it has a lot more uh, of this kind of And look, on it. we're all one environmental disaster, one terrifying world event from being in the same position, and it's, to me, unconscionable how we treat people without compassion because there but for the grace of God go any of us. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Reese, I wanna start with something you said recently that went viral. You proclaimed in a speech that for women, 
ambition is not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And that, that actually felt like a call to arms for women, I think, in all walks of life. And it reminded me of a time I was being interviewed, I won't say by whom, was not Barbara Walter, who said, well, my, you're, you're, you're quite ambitious, aren't you? And I remember having to defend, I'd never thought of myself as ambitious before, mm -hmm. but having, feeling like I needed to defend being ambitious because okay. it was spoken to me as though it were a dirty word. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that you're saying that ambition is not a dirty word struck such a chord? Um, well, I was reading, a, um, there was a Columbia scientific study at Columbia about characteristics in women that people found appealing and unappealing and across the board ambition was considered an unappealing aspect of femininity. Can you believe it? Mm -hmm. Even up in recently there was a study at Harvard that said women would deny their ambition in order to seem more appealing to men and I thought we need to start talking about and, and reframing this word ambition because it isn't about being selfish. It isn't about being self-serving. It's actually about wanting to create more and do better for communities, schools, the world, the government, mm -hmm. and reframe it. That an ambitious woman is not a terrifying thing and it's not, um, it's not a repellent thing. And I don't know, I just thought I wanted to open up a conversation about it. It's true, ambitious when applied to a woman has a it means almost ruthless or something, mm -hmm. or there's a lack of femininity, or it's it's a it's a masculine term, and if, if used on a man, it's considered a great compliment on a woman. I if someone called me ambitious, I would wonder <laughs> if they if it almost feels a little bit like shade. Yeah, you know? shade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. because it's like you're trying, you have all this drive, and when to, yes. and then when someone asked me, it was many years ago too, it was like, well, when's enough enough? You know, like isn't it enough already? Kind of. Kind of question, but you've—I think you have liberated us from that because, right after your speech about this, someone posted, "I just want Reese Witherspoon sitting on my shoulder, whispering, ambition, <laughs> ambition into my ear for the rest of my life." I got you. I got you. Whoever you are, I'll be there. I'll do that. What's true about that word is it's like effort. When you're a woman it, or anybody, you're supposed to be effortless all the time. Effortlessly beautiful is yes. the best compliment. Yes. And to show effort or to show that you want something or went after something is so, um, everyone's always saying when I look beautiful, it's like, oh, it's, I love it, it's so effortless. I'm like, what is wrong with oh. effort? Uh, yeah. what, is wrong wrong, effort? <laughs> what is wrong with effort? Effortful, that's, I think it's fine to be effortful. Um, but so, particularly as when you're on camera, it's considered to be uh, not a great quality. Yeah, that when you've like you worked for two hours, to look that way. look that yes, way. Yes. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free.
Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. So, uh, yeah, why do you think women are so conflicted by this idea of wanting more? Well, I think that, that you know, this idea of, of putting women in a, siloing them off, figuring out ways to keep them smaller or um, make them feel less or feel less accomplished, it's like, it's just systematic and we have to start talking about it in order to change the ideas that we are going to see in young women, for sure. Well, you've had that kind of drive, both of you, your whole life. Have you noticed a shift in how people perceive your drive and ambition, particularly after eight Emmys? <laughs> um, I think now that being older, I'm, I've, I had this epiphany at 40, I was like, you know how basketball players, like NBA players are always talking about how great they are? Why don't women talk about how great they are all the time? Like, you know, LeBron James isn't like, oh no, not me. He's like, I'm LeBron James. And yeah. I thought, yeah. why don't we change that and be like, I just started thinking. Because God, when yeah, you're a woman and you do that, you're perceived as being too full of yourself. Well, forget and it. I'm gonna start leading with my. I'm gonna start wearing my Emmy like a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've decided. Yeah, yeah. Don't stab yourself because those wings can hurt. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. And why do we diminish our accomplishments? Why do we do it? We do it to each other. We do it in front of men. And I've started going into business rooms and going, yeah, I deserve that. First of all, tell me. First of all, I, what? I was looking at you on the side, actually. I could see a peek of you, like right <laughs> over my shoulder, when Laura Dern, hers was the first one of the night. Yeah, when she uh, went We were talking about Big Little Lies. And hers was the first one of the night. And you were, I thought that you were going to rise up and float <laughs> out. Levitate. Levitate. I literally thought, if, if, if you could, if a smile, if a smile could make you fly, you would have, you were like your whole, I thought you were going to get up and just float over the stage. What were you thinking and feeling I've in that I've never moment? wanted so much for someone else in my entire, entire life, life. To win. I could feel yeah. that. I'm, it makes me want to cry when I think about it yeah. right now. Uh, I, yes. You were so, it was like you were one. It's like she was moving, but you were moving with her. Yeah, she's my friend. I yes. just, I know every part of her. I know every struggle she's had. I've had no, I've known so many joys in her life and there's no better feeling than watching this person that you love and just- Created a, a role for. Yeah, but she just ascended and she made it even better. It was there, she made it even better. And she was fantastic, she's wonderful. Yes, and yes. she's, so and you funny. all know, she's a beautiful, generous, lovely person. And just to see her have that moment of ascendancy and that moment in the light, it was just, it was too much. I just started to cry. <laughs> Somebody made a, a meme out of it, of me quite like basically levitating. levitating. <laughs> my smile is exploding <laughs> out of my face. It's gonna go out of your chair. And then it was award after award. Okay. Okay, so including outstanding lim limited series, lead actress, supporting actress, supporting actor, director, one after the other. So what were what were you feeling? Now you've had a chance to actually step back from it. I have because yes. it still feels completely surreal. Yeah. Um, I think it just was completely unexpected, and 
I mean, the audience response was amazing to the material. We had yes. no idea it would be received that right. way. But at the top of the... Millions and millions, like 8 million people watching every it's week. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then at the, the top of the Emmys, they said there were 450 scripted shows that year. And I thought, and we even got the opportunity to stand there. Yeah. But I meant what I said. I thought it was an incredible year for women to see people like Susan Sarandon, Jessica Lange, like... Elizabeth Moss, mm -hmm. Handmaid's yeah. Tale, these stories that were putting women at the center, but also that women were the architects behind the scenes, getting these stories out there, championing these stories. I think that was the, that was a great, one of the great stories that came out of the Emmys this year. And it felt different than any award show I'd ever been to. And did, I think some other award shows need to wake up. Emmy. Wake up. <laughs> did, did, and did things change the next in the in the weeks to follow? Did things change for you, your company, oh my the gosh. way you were perceived, the way the work's perceived? I mean, I was I was saying earlier, like I had I had sold one pilot television show three years ago. It didn't get made. We sold six shows to different networks in the past two weeks. Amazing. Which is so exciting. And they're all about women at the center of the stories and female creators behind the scenes. And it just feels like an incredible shift for me and, um, and momentum that I've never had before, particularly in TV, which is so exciting to me. Well, let's talk about you, Miss Mindy. Let's talk about the fact that of the deeper meaning behind you achieving so much in your career. You said that it's so important for women who look like me, look like you, to find that they can be beautiful or objects of love, attention, and affection. I want to know if you saw yourself that way at first, and how did that process unfold for you? You know, for someone who is uh, often touted for my confidence, I think that at the beginning, and certainly when I was working on The Office for so many years, I did not feel that way. But what occurred to me in the time that I worked at the office was when I was watching TV, and the, the TV landscape has changed so much even in the past 10 years, is although I was having a fun, romantic love life and having friends and dating, that no one who looked like me that was ever reflected in anything that I ever saw. You, I, there was many shows that I was fans of, like Sex and the City and all, and, but no one, W w there was it was four fun dynamic uh, white women and that was what all you, that's what you got and it was a wonderful show but I just hadn't seen anything except that except you know maybe like living single which had been before that and so for me uh, it was uh, very uh, transformative for me to be able to not only be able to be the lead in something which was surprising enough but to also represent a group of people that had largely been left out of being able to sh show and express romantic love on television. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that felt really special and that continues to be even now as the show is airing its final episodes, the, the thing that most people stop me, Asian women, African American women who come up to me and say, thank you for looking like me, for having a dynamic, fun love life and, and uh, doing that. So that's, I'm very proud of that. You know I love all these like super soul conversations and this is a super soul podcast. I wanted to ask you about your mother whom I know you loved and, and, and adored and she lost her battle with pancreatic cancer on the same day that your show, The Mindy Project, was given the green light. And I always say um, when you lose somebody you love that you gain an angel that you know. And I really do believe in the connection between the spirit life 
and our own life because mm -hmm. I believe that we're all spirits. Do, did you see the divine timing in that too? I did and I think the way that you expressed it is exactly how I felt it. Yeah. I think that, that is the perfect expression of, of what it was because it was such a long shot. I mean, my show had been passed over at NBC where I had worked for eight years. I'd written 26 episodes of The Office and I wrote this pilot for them. They passed over on it. So it was such a long shot that it would travel to Fox and they would even be interested in it because they had their own development going. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was keeping my mother abreast of all of this right towards the end because it was, she loved asking about, loved asking about it and wanted to know it. And so that was, I think divine timing was correct. I mean, it, it was as though when she passed away, there was something she was able to help me in, in, in another way. It was, it was within the hour, actually. Yeah. And I didn't get the news because- I believe that so strongly. It was very, very strange, but I, I do, I do I 100% agree with you that yeah. she had something to do with it. You know that. what I started to notice is when Maya Angelou's mother passed, shortly after her mother passed, she got a call from the White House to do the poem at Bill Clinton's inauguration. And I said, that's, that's your mother. Mm -hmm. And over and over again, I've seen in, my fr in the lives of my friends uh, who've lost dearly beloved loved ones, that how that transition, like when Ava's father passed, I said, watch what's gonna happen. Mm. Doors are gonna open, things are gonna clear, things are gonna show up for you. So I wonder, do you ever feel her presence? Do you ever? I do, I've, I've been surprised at how, and I, you all have had loved ones who have passed away, but I've been surprised at how my relationship with her has continued even though she's not here. And uh, I think that comes from the fact that when you know someone so well, you know what they would think in any situation. She was not a shrinking violet. She was very opinionated. And so when you say the relationship is continued even though she's not here, in what way? In How what is way, that expressed? If something comes up in the news or even if I'm trying if I'm trying on an outfit in the morning, I can look in the mirror and I would know what she would think. And sometimes, I mean, I will have the most vivid dreams as, as someone who is, I'm very skeptical as a person, but I will have the most vivid dreams of her talking to me and even in my dreams I'm skeptical I'm asking her mom how can this be I know you're not I know you're not here and she's like I know but I am here I, and I had a dream like this two months ago and I was you know five and a half months pregnant and I woke up and I said I know that you're supposed to have weird pregnancy dreams but this one is like I was an investigative <laughs> journalist with my own mother and they're dreaming like this isn't real mom and she's like I know but it is so um, and, and she was telling me that she was all right so I I, I do believe my relationship both <laughs> when I'm asleep and then also in my decision making, yeah. she's always there. Yeah. yeah, I believe that. Yeah, That doesn't sound weird to me at all. Yeah. And so what is, well, first of all, what's the greatest lesson she passed on to you? She, the, she has a saying, I, I don't think she invented this, but she told me it, so it was new to me. She said, before you can say, I love you, you need to be able to say I, which has been something that I have seen in my romantic relationships, my platonic relationships, my professional relationships. But, and that has been before you can give yourself to somebody else, you need to know what you stand for. Whoa. And anytime I have been in an unsuccessful relationship in my past, I have noticed, oh, it's because one of us was not able to say I. You mean to stand in the eye? To stand in the eye. To know the eye yes. fully, yeah. yeah. So I thought that was very useful and has proven true over and over again. And what is the lesson that you most want to pass on to your child? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know yet. I, I, <laughs> it's a great question and I'll have, to, I'll have to come back to you on that one at breakfast. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah.
You can start with that one. I know. Maybe start I'll with the start. passing. Take. Start with that. Sure. Start with the passing on the eye. <laughs> you know what I found so interesting reading about you, uh, Reese, is that when your mother saw Wild, she said you must have seen me or known me in some way because that turns out to have been part of what your mother was saying. You must have somehow energetically taken taken that on because your mom lost her mother. Very young when she was about the same age as Cheryl strayed yeah. in, in Wild. Yeah. And so do you think you did that? Is talking about energy being transferred, do you think, I think you saw so. that? Yeah, in a way I think I was walking in my that? mother's shoes, yeah. Because she, well no, she was very expressive when we were little that she missed her mother every single day. Part of the way Mindy and I know each other is through Wild. We really connected through that movie and talking about it and, um, uh, yeah, and my mother lost her mom to a brain aneurysm when my, my mom was 20. And I think it was the sadness of her life. She still cries about it if, we, if it comes up. She, it's very real and, mm -hmm. for her. And so I think in a way, Wild was um, a very healing process for me to, to discover my mother's grief and to talk to her about it. And I would call her. Because I read somewhere where you said you were holding that grief and didn't even know you were yeah, holding it. Yeah, I think kids hold the grief of their, their parents. I That's think, exactly and, right. And I trauma think. in your body. Yeah. And I, I remember I had to call my mom and I said, because there was a scene where I have to go into the room and, mm. and Laura Dern is mm. dying. And I said, I need you to tell me what happened that day. And she, so she got to tell me, and she had never told me, and um, it was just so powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It turns out my mother's birthday is Cheryl's mother's birthday, too. So we have all these points of connection, and, um, and it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read about grief and, and figuring out yourself mm -hmm. and how you build yourself up again. And I love that she said, you know, she walked back to the woman. She, she knew her mother wanted her to be. And... Um, yeah, in a way, I feel like my mother and I kind of closed the circle on that. With Laura, and Laura was with Laura in the center of that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. Well, you know, women have now been in the workforce for decades and, and are, fortunately, there are more leaders now than ever before and more women who, like yourselves, were doing the hiring. But we still have this thing of tearing each other down, um, creating in-groups, you know, and uh, out-groups. Now that you're in roles of power and leadership, have you tried to change that and how? Yeah, I, I, I mean, my experience on sets is I immediately invite everybody to dinner or over to my house. Yeah, it's true. Because I feel like the minute you take off the work yeah. hat and you have to just have a glass of wine with them or just mm -hmm. have a meal, you start to see who they really are. And I just, I think it cuts down every barrier, every intention. Now, I'm not going to say I haven't worked with people who are, you know, right. contentious, but of course, but it, it really diffuses a lot by um, setting a tone. And, and the performance is better 
also. I yeah, think. and I'm, when you're yeah. you're the leader of a group and you're number one on a call sheet, it's imperative that you set the tone. That and I watch you do it on set, you know, and and you, it's like your attitude, the way you treat people, the way you respond to people is it's so important. And what you're saying, Oprah, I'm sure you've felt this countless times because you've employed so many thousands and thousands of people is that that is often often happens because as a woman who's an employee often you are the only woman mm -hmm. and you think there's not enough space for me or oh there's only going to be one Indian woman or there's only going to be one minority I hope I'm it I can't help anybody else and mm -hmm. you know those are the terrible uh, habits you learn when you're younger and uh, when I was younger in the business and then as you are as an employer like well if I can stop the, that anxiety from young women if I can hire there isn't only going to be one Indian woman one African-American woman one woman period in here there's going to be lots. space for lots so you mm -hmm. don't have to have that anxiety anymore mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one way that we can help or that I've tried to help so do you give voice to that when you yeah, I mean, on my new groups. show, they, NBC does this wonderful thing, guys, I have a new show on NBC where they, they have one spot, they say for every staff writer, they will pay for a staff writer if it's a staff writer of color. Mm -hmm. So it's good because they're going to help offset the cost, but then also it makes a competition for this one spot. And so this year we had several women and I said, could you do two or could we split it? And we figure out a financial arrangement so that we could have two writers so that they didn't feel like there was vying for this one spot and it pits, you know, pitting its women against each other. What I found interesting when I read up on both of you, uh, can you imagine I'm reading up on no. you after all this time I spent with you? I have a picture of that. But anyway, I found that you both don't like the word likable. Mm. You both don't like the word likable. I don't like that word. Uh, Mindy, you said that you take pride in creating the character on the Mindy Project that's, you know, isn't always likable. And Reese, you said you're actually allergic to the word likable. Tell me why. Well, you go first. <laughs> well, to me, likable is likable to men. Yeah. To me. That and I and I I think that that is something I'm, I'm I don't care. I want to not care about that as much. I think relatable is important. Mm. I think it is too, yeah. And I, I like that word. Relatable, like that is, word relatable is better. And and I have made so many mistakes where I've made my character not relatable, thinking that, oh no, I don't want her to be likable for, you know, standing on a, you know, trying to be, put my feminist hat on, like, I don't care, and then thought, well, no, she isn't relatable either. Mm -hmm. And that has been my own failing. Right. Um, but knowing the difference has been important to me. Mm -hmm. You've made, I mean, especially in Big Little Lies, Madeline says some very out there things. <laughs> She's always relatable. Yeah. She's yeah. always relatable. Well, it's important. I think I've sat in so many meetings with studio heads, going over scripts in my early part of my career where I was in romantic comedy after romantic comedy and hearing things like, yeah, but would, would audiences like it if she did that? And, or, or ah, she can't kiss another man or be in a rela you know, relationship with, yeah. she can't look like she likes two guys at once. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know, it was just so much and it was always a group of men telling me what they thought was a likable quality mm -hmm. in a woman. So, you know, when I started, when I did independent films, I would do things like election, which is, you know, Tracy Flick is lots and lots of things, but not necessarily likable. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time getting jobs after that um, performance because studio heads thought I was crazy. <laughs> like, 
too ambitious. She was very ambitious. She was ambitious and it was repellent. Well, they don't think you're so crazy anymore. <laughs> that was a big little eyes moment. Well, they don't I think you're so crazy anymore. I think people want to or, see. Or they're like, give us some of that crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think people want to see the full spectrum of female behavior. I think yes. they're pretty tired. And all of its messiness yeah. and com complexity and. Henrietta Lacks, that was oh. not a perfect woman. No. No. She by had no means. Some, by no means. And she had, she suffered. Yeah. But she was not an angel. No. And I thought that was so, you know, so compelling because I think you would think in that particular kind of story, it would like victim. This character is a victim. That's right. And she. I think George know. Wolf wanted specifically to direct it so and have it produced so that she wouldn't appear to be. But in the wrinkle in a wrinkle in time, the three of us play uh, what some people might see as guardian angels. Do you believe in angels? I've never thought about them. For sure, I believe in angels. Believe I love angels. asking a question you never thought about. I've never thought about it. I, I Do you believe? believe You've never thought about your guardian angels? angels? I, I've never yeah. thought. I don't know that I have a guardian angel. Mm. I think of beings mm. that are thinking about me and protecting me, but I've never put the term angel on it. I, I had think, a really yeah. bad car wreck. Uh, six years ago, I was hit by a car. Um, I was actually jogging. I was hit by a car. I and I got really badly hurt and bad head injury. And I walked away with no broken bones, no head trauma, no internal bleeding. And the doctors were like, I don't understand. understand it. And I know, I know I have angels. Like, and I have to talk about it because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't acknowledge the kind of, to me, that's divine intervention or mm -hmm. somebody took care of me that day. I mm -hmm. wouldn't be here. It was that violent and, and difficult. Well, we were talking earlier, your, your mom is one for sure. Now that I've one for sure. put that into those terms, but you're oh, right, you're 100%. Guarantee. And I don't just have, I have a team. Do you? Oh, I have a team. Who, who is it? Well, my grandmother and grandmothers before her, I, mean, I have a team. I've actually... Do they, do you see them or...? No, I've never seen them and actually I've told them don't want to. Mm -hmm. Don't want mm -hmm. to, I don't want to, I'm not, not ready for that yet. But I do, I'm supported by, you know, there's a wonderful poem by Maya Angelou that says, um, I think it's called a poem to our grandmothers actually, where she says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And often I've been in boardrooms where I was the only woman, only person of color. Mm -hmm. You couldn't find another woman or another person of color within a hundred mile radius. I've been in <laughs> those situations where you're like, is there a brown kind of looking person somewhere? <laughs> um, and before I walk into that room, I will say that poem, the line from that poem, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000 because I feel the presence, I feel the energy of the, there's a whole pack behind That's me. There's so a, empowering. There's a tribe behind me. And when I've had to make difficult decisions in my company, I literally went into my closet and I called them up. I said, okay, going in, gonna do it, stand with me. So yeah, I, mm -hmm. I definitely do believe in the energies of people who passed who are still, you know, with us in oh, some way. Sure. Yeah. And the people who came before us who cut the path that we stand in, I'm yeah. always deferential well, to Ava them. Ava wears that shirt, you know, yes. I am my ancestor's greatest dream. Greatest dream, yeah. And I, I love it. It's, it's That's why like, doing Wrinkle was just like, oh, this makes sense to me. Okay, what's the most difficult decision you've had to make to fulfill your destiny? Uh, for me, probably leaving an abusive relationship. For me, it was uh, realizing that I was not going to be friends with 
everybody along the path of achieving what I wanted. That, that I would have to, it's not that profound, but that I would make enemies, make people that would not be my friends and being okay with that. Okay, I have to follow up to leaving an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. What was the decision? There's a moment, was it physically, verbally, ver verbally both? Uh, psychological, verbal, okay. Okay. Um, and a, yeah. Okay, yeah. and at what, what moment was it several instances or yes. at some moment you decided uh, it's something so a line got drawn in the sand and it got crossed and my brain just switched and I knew it was going to be very difficult but I just couldn't go any further um, but it was profound and I was young really mm -hmm. young and that made all the I could never be the person I am today I, I was a different person too it yeah. changed who I was on a cellular level the fact that I stood up for myself the fact that I, and it, none of the, leaving those situations is easy because it's wrought with self-doubt, particularly if someone damages your self-esteem, yeah. which is, yeah. I mean, you, people say to me, they knew me then, they're like, you're a complete, I didn't have self-esteem, I, it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a different person now, and it's part of the reason I can stand up and say, yes, I'm ambitious, and yes, because someone tried to take that from me. And before. it's also part <laughs> of the reason why you want to, or a part of your drive is telling the complexity of those stories for other women. It was incredible when we did Big Little Lies, how we would sit around all the women and talk about each one of us had very specific experiences. They weren't, there was a range of experiences, but there wasn't a woman there that hadn't been affected by abuse. Not one wow. of those women. And it's why we decided to make this show. Yeah. And, and I, I, and I, I, I I'm hard-pressed to find any group of women where you can't say, it happened, to me, it happened to my sister, it happened to my mom, yeah. I saw this, or, mm -hmm. and there's a range of abuse, you know, right. there's, there's verbal, there's psychological, there's, there's so many things other than physical yeah. that can be completely detrimental to your self-worth, your self-esteem, and your progress. And you know what, it's all the same, because I remember holding as a standard for myself, having grown up watching um, a cousin of mine who was like my mother's sister, and we, I grew up in the house with her older cousin and her boyfriend used to abuse her. So that was my standard. I will never physically abuse her. And as a kid, I was like 10 years old, saw him knock her down the stairs. So my thing was, I'll never let somebody hit me. I'll never let somebody yeah. hit me. Mm -hmm. So I lived in that superior, better than thou space of as long as he doesn't hit me. Well, he can say anything, mm -hmm. he can do anything, but as long as he doesn't hit me. And one day in my 20s, guy was leaving, the person who wouldn't hit me slammed the door in my hand and I fell. And I saw myself in the mirror and I realized I had become that woman who would allow myself to be psychologically, verbally mm -hmm. assaulted and uh, that there was no difference between that and being actually hit no. yeah. and the more we give voice to it yeah. like you just did so beautifully and yeah. the more that we make art about it and tell stories you were saying it's great to see a story about it um, it changes consciousness that's why Nicole's sitting in that uh, therapy office mm -hmm. and confessing the shame mm -hmm. of it you know because and hiding some, it and first, hiding it at it. first and then confessing the shame of yeah, it was so profound. so important yeah. okay what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn Lesson that to, to it's okay to say no. I was gonna say the same thing. Really? <laughs> but I still haven't learned. That I'm, would be mine. That's that would be mine too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think when you're a yes you person. It you got it? Do you know? No, I, I would say that I, I was going <laughs> to amend it and be saying I'm still trying to learn it, but saying no is the hardest thing. Yeah, when you're a person, I think a positive person and an outgoing person and you love life, you want to say yes all the and time and it can be debilitating. You're an A student, <laughs> you're a people pleaser. I'm tired a lot. I gotta learn, I, you know that it's Sean to wrote the book of yes, the year of yes. I was like, I need a year of no. <laughs> <laughs> or Cheryl Stamberg wants you to lean in. I'm like, I need to sit down. <laughs> I, I lean over lean anymore, back. I gotta fall over. <laughs> I need to lean back and take yeah, a nap. Totally. <laughs> All right, we could talk forever, but yeah, thank you so for joining fun. me. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>